This is the story of how Australia and the world are facing transformational change at a rapid pace. From shifts in geopolitics, economic uncertainty, climate change, disruptions to democracy, rapid leaps and bounds in technology, and social unrest. We've seen a lot happen in the global economy in the past few years. It has forced nation states to reevaluate nearly all aspects of how they function, especially as economic and social change that used to take decades now occurs in much tighter timeframes. There are certainly many challenges we face, but there are also great opportunities for those who are able to develop solutions and be better prepared to navigate a fast-changing world. So in the near future, how will we trade, how will we work, rest and play? What's the future of work, the future of finance and the future of living itself? I'm Tim Harcourt and welcome to The Great Transformation. disruption to the global economy has come disruption to the distribution of news, information and entertainment. With the decline of newspapers, the rise of streaming and the digital distribution of news, the media and entertainment landscape has changed rapidly before our eyes. What does this mean for the future of media and entertainment? Let's ask an expert to help guide us through. My guest today is Andrew Stewart. Andrew leads Baker McKenzie's Global Digital Media and Copyright Content Practice Business Unit. He advises on a number of free-to-air, subscription, streaming, and radio broadcasting companies, and he advises on a range of intellectual property, publication, and piracy prevention issues. So, Andrew, welcome to The Great Transformation. Yeah, thanks, Tim. When we're thinking about the future, how are we, how are we going to get news and how are we going to consume information? Will it be streaming, free-to-air TV, social media? I think the the best way to explain it is like that recent movie that won the the Oscars. The Oscars, yeah, everything all at once. I mean, there's no, I mean, it hasn't been the case for quite a number of years, but there's no single part to the audience anymore. There's multiple parts: social media, you got traditional media, which I think will survive in one form or another, streaming. It, it's everything. I mean, if you look at the way that this program's being distributed, we're on Foxtel, Fetch. Ticker, um, a whole lot of websites. I mean, I think that that's a good example of the way people are going to consume and organisations will supply information, a whole bunch of paths. And unless you're on all the paths, you can't create the kind of mass audience you need to get to the people you want to. Yeah, I noticed that Tucker Carlson, who was with Fox, got got booted from Fox News and then he set up his own show on Twitter yep. from Argentina or wherever he was in the, in the world and he's just picked up the audience that he had before, pretty much, and plus. Well, I think it's, there's this enormous democratisation of media, uh, in a sense. So small player, well, he's not a small player, he's got lots of funds and resources, can do that. But um, once upon a time when the internet arose, you had sort of the sort of uh, amateur journalists using blogs and things like that. But we've come a long way since then, and the creation of quality news is not, and in information supply is not only the province of the large players like the big TV networks around the world. Um, it can be done anywhere. It can be done on small budgets. Um, but what you get is a high quality production or you can. 
So I think that um, lots of different people will supply our information and our news. People will consume it in lots of different ways in multiple pathways. Because in some ways they call them what, citizen journalists? Citizen journalists, yeah. And in some ways the networks haven't discouraged that because they've said, if you've got a story, yeah. let us know. So yep. there is there is sort of a yep. an avenue for that. Yeah. I mean, the news ecosystem has kind of changed a lot. Once upon a time, news origination was um, the news crews from the newspapers or AAP going out finding the stories, but news can now originate from those citizen journalists. And they have fitted into the ecosystem, and but existed at all levels of it at the same time. So what's the future, let's say, free-to-air TV versus pay TV? You know, if it's free-to-air, that's fine. Who's going to subscribe to pay TV in the future? I mean, how's, how's that going to work? It's going to be interesting. I think that the the pay TV type players are going to have to, and we see examples of that now, they're going to have to sort of evolve their services. They'll still have those subscription services because that'll still be the way that some people consume some of their content, but we're seeing them become portals. So uh, Fetch, for example, you can get your Apple subscription through that. They set it up so that you can access all the different kind of contents. They become what I remember we used to call like a portal website, effectively. It's a way through, like the old 9MSN. Um, so I think that there'll be a place for them. There'll be an outlet. They'll have some of their own content, um, but they will want to be a gateway to a broader um, sort of, broader section or broader volume of content and they'll be trying to aggregate audiences. I think that's one of the the challenges and the keys to success in the new media world, how you aggregate that audience, at least for the large players, how you build your advertising revenues or your subscription revenues. But as, like I said, everything all at once, it's going to get harder. So when it comes to the future sport that we've looked at at the great transformation, the, the the distribution of TV rights is a pretty big deal, isn't it, when you look at the yeah. World Cup of women's football and rugby union and, and so on? I mean, it is one of the last – well, not the last ways, but the thing that sport has is it's live. It's in some senses local, like the, the World Cup, and we watch the Australians do so well. It's a way of bringing a mass audience together in a way that not – much other content can still do. That's why it's so valuable. I mean, you get interesting questions about should sporting companies sort of become media companies? Should they distribute their own content? And we've seen some examples of that. Um, some of the UK football clubs have sort of got into releasing their own content. But that ability to create that mass audience and monetize the eyeballs, that is still the province, at least at the moment, of free-to-air subscription TV. So that whole ecosystem and the funding that those bodies get, I think for a while yet, will still drive this structure where you have the sort of big rights deals. The AFL sells their content for however much they do and they plough that into the grassroots. So there's that structure that still exists. I think that will exist for quite a while yet. Can sporting bodies become media companies? Do they want to? They're hard questions and there's a seduction about selling their own content, creating their own channels, but still they rely on that money that the broadcasters pay them. And I think we'll be in that sort of ecosystem for quite a while yet. Yeah, when we interviewed Liverpool in the UK, they were very strict about what we filmed because they saw that as their IP or belonging to the EPL and so on. Yeah. But surely if they try and become players, aren't they undermining the 
broadcast rights of the yeah you know, the big TV networks. Yep, and I think that there are fairly strict rules put around the clubs in the various codes about how they can promote themselves, how they use their IP, because yeah, they don't want to undermine the the value that gets generated at the sort of the organisational level of the competition and then sells those broadcast rights. So that that remains really important for them. Can that affect, though, journalism, the sense that if you have AFL media doing an interview with the CEO, interviewed by the AFL media team, it's quite different than being interviewed by Patrick Smith or Caroline Wilson, isn't it? Yeah, it probably is. I mean, we've existed in that world for quite a while where you have um, – in-house productions of promotional material and sort of out in the sort of newspaper world, there's that um, production by organisations of press releases that get sent to the journos and um, the good journos are critical and they investigate it and they don't use those. But there are some who are operating on different models who take the press release and that becomes their story. Not that different from that in a sense, but, yeah, as long as I suppose you know where the content's coming from, you will hopefully as a an audience member look at content created in-house in one of those organisations and an interview of their own person differently and understand that there are different motivations for the content creation than if it's a high-profile journo in the age interviewing the CEO. We're used to the big players in media traditionally being, you know, the Murdochs, the Packers, Fairfax. Now... Surely you've got Apple and, you know, completely different companies now yep. being media players. That's been a progression sort of, particularly during the sort of rise of the internet, I guess. And now that we've got sort of 5G capability, um, those organisations are just as much content creators and suppliers. And, I mean, I think I was going to – about streaming, if you think about the streaming world, um, you're starting to get vertical integration Paramount buys 10, an example, um, that those organisations and those paths to market will be integrated. You'll have those traditional players continuing, but you'll have the Googles and the Apples and Facebooks and others becoming content creators and suppliers as they sort of jostle for those eyeballs. So, yeah, it's kind of a crowded marketplace in a sense. I think over time we'll see some rationalisation of it. And you're right in a sense in the same way that a fossil fuels company might buy a renewable energy company, in the same way a traditional media company might end up buying a lot of the other sort of new media streaming services. Yeah, absolutely. But that's not new. You think about where the TV stations came from. Um, you had the, the news organ, uh, the newspaper organisations start to get into media way back um, you had news limited invest in foxtel um, so i think that this is just another sort of version of that story a later version of that story in a sense new players coming in some are bigger some are funded by other sources other than just the sort of normal ratings that we're used to or the sales of newspapers they earn their money in lots of different ways and um, i mean you look at amazon for example that's a very broad organisation and media becomes just part of what they do. Because media law traditionally used to be, I think, what did Paul Keating used to say, you can be king of TV or prince of print. Yep. You can't be both. Yeah. I mean, th those days are way gone, aren't they? Yeah, oh, absolutely. I mean, those distinctions between the different mediums have kind of, they mean less over time. 
um, and as you get an increasingly crowded sort of competitor marketplace, they're harder to maintain from a commercial perspective because you can't just be a TV station anymore. I mean, you look at Nine, for example. Um, it's got TV. Um, it's got um, the streaming service. It's got the newspapers, but it's got a high profile on the different social media platforms. You can't just be one anymore. And I think that those rules are kind of gone. Well, they're less relevant. Yeah, they still exist in some ways, but... Um, yeah, I think Paul Keating's analysis was of its day, but it kind of doesn't apply anymore. It's interesting, isn't it? I mean, when you think about AI, we've spoken to Katrina Wallace on the great transformation. AI surely will change a lot of the, the media landscape just by, you know, reducing some of the, some of the costs and so on. Yeah. I mean, I think it's going to impact a whole lot of ways. Um, and we're beginning to see some of the tensions. So we had the Writers uh, Guild strike in the US recently. I think there's a, a jostling that's going to happen between those larger companies and those who work for them to try and figure out, well, what is the role of AI? And, and I think that's emblematic of the, the challenge that AI brings in all sectors. I think that it will provide a way of producing high-quality content at a lower price you think of CGI, for example, that's an obvious area. Um, what'll be really interesting is that in a not dissimilar way to the way we saw that we talked about the rise of the citizen journalist, you will have people being able to sit in their sort of lounge rooms or in their little um, rooms at home and create pretty powerful content by using AI. So that'll be really interesting to see how that develops and what sort of niche market you get for maybe even sort of um, cinema quality content created by individuals at home. That'll, that'll be a really interesting development. And then AI is going to impact on curation of content. Um, we already have that with a whole bunch of services. Spotify, for example, you get a list of things that will recommend songs you might want to hear. Um, I think we'll see increasingly AI play a role in that. So it's going to impact both the creation side, the supply side and the demand side. We've seen the rise of gaming as, as well in the entertainment space. Do you think you know, gaming will be a big thing with, with big players? I think it's already huge. I mean, if you look at the value of gaming at the moment, I think the industry is worth about $300 billion And on some measures, that's larger than sort of um, sort of cinema release movie, the cinema release movie market now. So I think it is absolutely going to be huge, already is huge. And I think that, I mean, I'm not particularly a gamer, but I know my son is and I know lots of his friends are and my daughter as well. So I think that there is this massive industry that sort of, um, at least for us traditionalists who have come out of the old media world sort of don't really have a great feel for, but you see the crossovers with movies now coming out of games. I, th I think it will just continue to grow. AI will play a big role in content creation there as well. I think we'll see... And we already have seen some of the bigger players sort of start to get into it, um, starting to be really interested in computer games, owning those businesses that have done well and sort of cross-seeding particular IP brands right across traditional movies, um, TV series and computer games. I mean, that that's simply un only going to grow. Yeah, even in Georgia Jakarta in Indonesia, there's a huge gaming industry. So I think for the you know, new generations coming up, from Asia to Latin America to here in Australia, you're going to see gaming, esports, and a lot of the uh, lot of spin-offs. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Normally, I ask on this 
great transformation series, you know, where will we be in 10, 20 years' time? But <laughs> with me, I think five years' time is probably yeah. better because it's happening so quick. What, what do you think are going to be the big things in the next in, in five years' time? That Yeah, I mean, I think we'll see sort of as I touched on a little bit, there'll be some more vertical integration um, going on. Um, we've seen the beginning of that as we've talked about. We've seen that they still are pretty much one of the few ways you can generate a sort of consistent large-scale audience all watching the same thing at the same time, and there's a value in that. We're sort of past the heydays of um, free-to-air TV, obviously, quite a while ago, um, but they still exist. They're still doing well. I think I mean, even five years is really hard to tell, but what is really interesting right now is we're sort of experiencing a bit of a golden age of TV in the sense of you've got the streaming services which have voracious appetites for new content that's driving an explosion of content creation both in Australia and US and other places. Um, so I think that we'll see a rationalisation of that maybe through sort of those portals that we were talking about to try and sort of gather your streaming services in one place. Um, I think that'll be more sort of uh, significant. I think we're also, if you watch Netflix, for example, the rise of non-English language content. And we're starting to see, say, out of Korea, some really interesting content being created. And I think that this democratisation of access is going to mean that once upon a time, we would just consume English language content, primarily created in the US or Britain. But um, now you'll have access to a whole range of content. And I think people will be exposed to a broader sort of broader-natured content, which I think is a great thing as well. Yeah, my family's hooked on Korean crime drama, so... Yeah, uh, I've got some friends like that too. Good good example. Yeah. So in some ways, uh, because everything's coming all at once, it's quite an exciting time, even if it's challenging for traditional media players. Yeah, yeah, I think it will be an exciting time, particularly for the consumer. Um, For people who sort of work in the industry, yeah, it's going to be really challenging. But I don't think media is alone in that. I mean, we look at the legal industry and think, well, what's AI going to do to us and how will we operate? Um, How will we train people when some of the jobs that were done um, by lawyers who were learning are replaced by AI? I mean, I think the the challenges are not dissimilar. In the industry, there's going to be a lot of shake-up, but I think there'll be opportunity too. It's about being nimble, I guess, like it always is. Andrew Stewart, thanks for being on The Great Transformation. Fantastic. Thanks. Well, that's it for the entertainment episode of The Great Transformation. The world of media and entertainment is changing so fast that it's great to sit down with an expert who's been advising the major players who are ahead of the curve. Thanks to Andrew Stewart for his observations.